We're going to look this evening at the theme of beauty from uh, uh, Proverbs. But before we do so, uh, now that I'm a little bit more composed, uh, can I thank you for your uh, uh, surprise this morning uh, and um, your kind words and your thoughts and your prayers. Um, It's an honor to do uh, what I'm being asked to do, uh, though I make light of it. it is nonetheless a significant uh, thing to do, and uh, I do covet your prayers, and I value your support, and uh, I take comfort from knowing that I have the best congregation in the free church. Sorry about Dundee, but that's true. Uh, so, um, it's, I know that I, I will have your prayer support, and I, I crave that. It's uh, an interesting assembly that's coming up. There's a lot of exciting and good things happening, but there's a lot of difficult things happening as well. So uh, we will need a great deal of wisdom as a church to move forward and pray that you'll continue to pray for the church and for me as moderator this year and the times that I'm away, I know you'll be supportive of that. And uh, we've got great support uh, here uh, while I'm away. So uh, Katrina and I are very grateful for your kindness and generosity and support. So, beauty, that is the theme, Uh, and it's not uh, a simple theme to uh, extract from Proverbs. Um, It is and it isn't. It's kind of, it works its way right through Proverbs, but it's not a clear-cut text that we can take. But we're going to look at that theme this evening. But I think we we always need to start by recognizing and knowing that uh, in God's perfect and glorious creation, which uh, we know he made at the beginning. Beauty has been compromised. So whenever we speak about beauty, we need to recognize that it's been compromised because of the fall and because of sin in the world. And the outstanding creativity and good imagination of God uh, and his gift to humanity of a stunning creation and shared creative capability that we have as people, has been hijacked by humanity uh, in uh, our sinful selfishness and has been often prostituted so that we can't fully understand uh, beauty as it was originally intended for us. Yet, we know and we appreciate beauty in this world uh, that points us to the beautiful one, that points us to our God, our Creator God, And we have redemption, which gives us amazing hope for a greater and more glorious expression and enjoyment of beauty uh, in relationship with Him and in the world that He's given us. But we know that sin simply means that we've turned our backs on God. And we we turn our backs on God, that means we've turned our backs on beauty as well uh, in all its perfection. We've opened the door to beauty being distorted and deceived uh, and misrepresented and destructive uh, or destroyed uh, in many different ways uh, in this world. And ugliness has become an unwelcome tenant in the world in which we live. So alongside beauty, we recognize and see that sin has brought an ugliness into the world. And that's the corollary. That's the opposite of the beauty uh, of God's world. 
But I do think sometimes as Christians, and maybe particularly Christians from our tradition, that we are suspicious of sanctified imagination and beauty. We regard it as a kind of risky subject to move into. Christians in pursuit uh, of beauty in the arts or in music or in sport uh, and in creation generally are maybe regarded uh, with a bit of suspicion uh, as, if secondary, uh, as if secondary only to a bare kind of soul salvation. And yet that in itself is very one-dimensional. And we struggle, I think, with the sheer extravagance and beauty and variety of the gifts and personalities God has given us. Uh, One of sin's failings, I think, is that uh, we have a desire for everyone to be like us, to look like us and to think like us, and that our version of beauty is the only version of beauty there is, and it can be very confined and, and narrow, and that becomes... Uh, the lie of Satan in many ways as we uh, make everything uniform and bland and simple uh, without recognizing uh, the astonishing creativity and glory of our God. So, in this chapter, we've gone back to chapter 8, and I think we've decided uh, individually and together, Corey and myself and Tom, we preached that chapter 8 and 9, but particularly is a kind of pivotal chapter of uh, Proverbs. It's a core chapter for everything blossoms really from it in many ways, and it speaks of wisdom. And uh, we've read this several times as we've introduced the subject of wisdom and folly and the fear of the Lord, and uh, it's an important chapter. And in verse 30 of this chapter, uh, we have this uh, picture of wisdom at the beginning. We saw that before, personified in the beginning of the world. And he said, "'Then I was beside him like a master workman.'" We've got this picture of uh, uh, wisdom being God's craftsman in creation. So you've got this picture of wisdom personified as the creator of beauty, uh, the creator of all of God's glorious creation that's uh, listed and spoken of in the chapter that we read. And when Corey preached in this chapter, he, he brought that link between wisdom and wisdom's work and wisdom being personified here as the creator of beauty, and moving it forward ultimately to linking the wisdom of God with the Word of God, and the Word of God being most uh, uh, enfleshed in the person of Jesus Christ. So we see Jesus in many ways and recognize Christ as the second person of the Trinity uh, as the agent in creation, the great wise one, who uh, brought this world of marvelous beauty uh, into being. In verse 30, we're told there that uh, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, always rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. So both the world that was created and humanity that was created within this world was a great delight and a great joy and a great pleasure uh, for God to look on. So he saw this world, and he saw us remarkably. It's beautiful. Made in his own image. Made us that way. Made us with great beauty and great uh, intricacy and great variety and reflecting his character. So this great Trinitarian God that we worship 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the source of all the delegated beauty and creativity that we see in the world in which we live. The art, the music, the craftsmanship, the architecture, the engineering, the fashion designers, sports people, as they work out their creative gifts. As God is glorified through these things, it can be for us a source of great rejoicing and of great thankfulness. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, He made everything beautiful in its time. So we have that recognition, and we have that knowledge that all good things, all things of great beauty come from uh, and uh, find their source in God. And Proverbs itself is a great illustration of that, as is the Song of Solomon, or as is Ecclesiastes, uh, or as Job is as well, that, that these authors pull in God's creation to explain uh, the character of God and to explain uh, the glory of God. Proverbs itself uh, uses many things in creation to ex- express different wisdom truths, especially animals. He talks about horses and bears and dogs and lions and lizards and lambs and deers and coney, eagles and ants, swallows and eagles. All are used by uh, uh, the author of Proverbs, Solomon the king and, and others, to express and explain truths uh, of God's uh, world and God's wisdom. And who can forget the, and I've often spoken of it here in church, of the great picture from Job, and as we went through Job, and uh, God, ex- how, how do we think God would explain himself? In great deep theological terms where he spoke in, in marvelous explanations of his deep ontological being, but yet he speaks about himself through his creation. Where were you? when the world was... Where were you? I was the one who made the storehouses of snow. And then he speaks about the ostrich. Stupid animal. Ostrich, not given much wisdom. Ah, but when he spreads his wings, he laughs at a horse and rider. That most magnificent picture of God who knows and sees and understands his creation and recognizes it in all its beauty. But of course, we'd be unwise for us to stop there because we recognize that uh, there is also within Proverbs and in with God's Word this great recognition of folly and the deceptiveness of uh, what folly has done and taken from God and from His Word and from His uh, original creation and destroyed it. Proverbs 31, where uh, Cody read from the, the wife of noble character, great chapter, great passage, but it ends with that section, which says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Uh, and so there's a recognition there of uh, a misunderstanding of beauty uh, and uh, a recognition that beauty in and, in and of itself, as sometimes we accept it in its uh, distortion because of sin, is not the answer for us in our lives. In our rebellion, we've, we've stolen beauty. We've stolen God's beauty, and we've ripped it and taken it from its roots so that at best, it's a fading flower. It does have life, but it won't last because it's, it's been torn from its maker. It's been torn from its source 
been torn from its God. So there is beauty there, but it is fading, and it is passing, and sin has done that to beauty. And we need to recognize that and try and redeem that as we understand it. See, as, as sin closes the door on God, and uh, therefore, as, God, as the door is closed, then God is neither acknowledged uh, as the giver uh, or the author of beauty, and He's not thanked or worshipped. And immediately it's taken out of its context. Immediately it's ripped from its roots. And beauty becomes uh, something that it was never intended to be. Beauty itself becomes the, the thing that is worshipped rather than God. So that in Romans 1.25, which I think is up on the screen, or it will be, uh, we've got that because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature that, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's, the, that's what's turned around. Is, that's what's turned around in this world, is that rather than worshipping the Creator of beauty, we worship beauty itself, and we make that an end in itself. It loses, therefore, its divine depth, and it is in danger of being only skin deep. A well-known phrase to us, isn't it? Beauty that's skin deep. It's shallow. That end in itself, when uh, what can be seen, what is visible, what is attractive to us, is all that matters. And we live in that world, do we? We live in that world today, more than ever, where image is everything, where what we see is everything, uh, where wisdom and God's definition of beauty is rejected because it's too demanding and because it exposes uh, the ugliness and selfish and sinful appetites of our own hearts. But beauty is shallow when it's ripped from its roots in God so that we live in a society where sex sells. Sex sells. Beauty sells. Looks count for so much. They are so significant in, in terms of human beauty moving away from, from the world itself to, to us. And it becomes something, beauty becomes something to be, to be owned, to be controlled, to, to be what satisfies our appetites. And it becomes something that is all obsessing in our lives. Physical beauty is worshipped and is sought after more than anything. And embarrassingly manufactured as we get older to maintain youthfulness and to maintain some facade of youthful beauty because that's all there is, the fear of losing youth and that surface beauty that is so important in our society exposes the vanity of much of our lives and much of our thinking. And we get sucked into that as Christians. We can easily get sucked into thinking that beauty is only skin deep. So that beauty has been uh, overtaken so often by ugliness uh, which is exposed in this broken world in which we live. And so we see beauty being scarred and destroyed, don't we? We see it in the planet. We see it in animal cruelty. We see it in war and destruction. Above all, we see it in the way we hate, in the way we gossip, in the way we destroy one another and mock one another and violate one another and cheapen one another. And ultimately, we see it in the ugliness of death which is the opposite of all the beauty and life and creativity and energy that God uh, 
initially and originally created for us. It tears apart and it breaks and is desperate in its ugliness. So we take the beauty that is spoken of in uh, he, uh, Proverbs chapter 8 as uh, personified in wisdom and in wisdom delighting in God's creation, and we recognize that that, that hope of, of a renewed recognition of beauty is, can only be fulfilled in Christ and in Christ's redemption. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So we have this picture of Jesus Christ in all His richness, in all His graceful, glorious provision for us in redemption, and His beauty is evident. It is uh, an amazing, rich, glorious, beautiful um, redemption that He's purchased for us. We see it in His character, and we see it in His work. Interesting, Jesus Christ, by God's standard, is the most beautiful person who ever lived, okay? And his whole character, most beautiful person who ever lived. Interestingly, though, that didn't make him look like a god, I don't think. It didn't make him kind of glow, apart from the transfiguration, and that was different. He, he simply, he looked like us, I don't think as he grew up, people looked at him and said, my, he's the most beautiful specimen who ever lived, and he must be a god. He, he just grew up, and his beauty was, was not what we judge beauty as being. I don't think he stood out physically on the surface in any way. In fact, Isaiah speaks of him as being one who was despised and rejected. He had no beauty that we should desire him. There, there wasn't the kind of uh, outward marks of beauty that, that humanity uh, gauged people by. His, his beauty, and he had beauty, but it was despised and was rejected. People preferred... John 3.19 says that this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, beautiful light but that people loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So, interestingly, in our sinfulness, true beauty to us is something we recoil from. It's something that we find a, a great challenge to us, and that's a challenge to you and me in our Christian lives when we tend to uh, uh, dovetail in our thinking with the world and, and think that the world's concept and our natural concept of beauty is all that matters. And yet Christ was rejected because people found his light too bright, too exposing, the standard of beauty too great. And they preferred the darkness of their own one-dimensional, narrow-minded, sinful, uh, flat version of life and beauty. So he was the most beautiful of all human beings, yet he was despised and rejected. And though he was so beautiful, we find that he is crucified uh, in the ugliest place of all, Calvary. Now, it's a bit paradoxical. Calvary is, is both the greatest, the most ugly place of all, but also a place for Christians of great beauty. It's darkest, the bleakest place of all, where the light 
went out on the beauty of God, the Son. But even the Father wouldn't look on the Son, and the Son wouldn't shine on the moment because there was so much ugliness there as He became sin for us, forsaken, cast out, experiencing hell and all that is ugly and all that is dark and all that is awful, yet, paradoxically, the place of great beauty for us because uh, that great transaction happened where love and justice meet and where rescue and redemption is one. And it's where we can recapture and understand true beauty through the Holy Spirit and live true beauty. And that brings me to, we looked at very loosely going through uh, Proverbs in many ways here, but seeing it as part of the ongoing redemptive revelation of God, uh, we've seen the beauty of the Lord uh, as it's revealed in Christ, who's the Word, the great uh, personification of God's wisdom and God's redemption for us. But we also remember that in salvation, the people of God are the bride of Christ. Revelation 21 verse 2 uh, speaks of that. It says, uh, hopefully, that we are, uh, or maybe not. No? Okay, I'll look it up. So I only gave these texts very late on. I thought I'd given them, and I hadn't. Uh, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And it's that great picture of the beauty of the church, uh, redeemed as a bride prepared for her husband, the Savior, the Redeemer, God. Now, I may be wrong exegetically here, but I'm the moderator this year. <laughs> no. So, no. Uh, uh, so, I'm taking that bride of Christ, okay, that's spoken of in Revelation 21, and I'm applying it to the noble wife of Proverbs 31. Because the noble wife we have, if you remember for whom Proverbs was written, we believe it was written for young men, young men of the royal house, and uh, there is wisdom that is given to them uh, for life, and what greater wisdom than looking for a wife of noble character for the uh, young prince. Uh, and in many ways, what we have here is a, a, an idealized personification of the wise wife, the beautiful wife. Uh, it can be applied to marriage. It can be applied to wife. I, I believe it could be applied to husband. Uh, it can be applied to individuals. But I believe perfectly it's applied to the redeemed church, the bride of Christ. So, it applies to every believer, the ultimate bride, the bride of Christ. And we find in here the personification of absolute beauty, of beauty redeemed, beauty in Christ. And we are to strive with the Holy Spirit, with our new hearts and our new beings to live beautifully and to strive after the beauty that is revealed in this passage. Uh, strive because we have the energy and we have the life of God enabling us and His forgiveness. It is priceless beauty, 
It is much, much deeper than skin. It is the retaking, it's the recapturing of our whole being for God, for all that we are. It's a picture, if you go through that passage, it's a picture of someone who trusts in the Lord, who is loving, who is wise, who is merciful, who is energetic. This is where all the beauty comes in. Who is creative, who is imaginative, who is entrepreneurial, who is strong, who is hardworking, who is generous, who is protective, who is an educator. And it's a picture of something far greater than just outward beauty that we often make judgments on, isn't it? Do we often judge people just by what they look like? And here is this character of great beauty, and it comes from within. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Did they get that one? I did great. The Lord, this is the Old Testament, the Lord said, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's the great difference, isn't it, between us and our sinful natures and what we ought to be as believers. We ought to see beyond the surface. We ought to see beyond the gossip, beyond what is an instinctive judgment on someone's character. And also, we should not seek to portray ourselves in that shallow light to others. It's only what they see. It's only how we portray ourselves. It's only what we look like on paper. He says, no, as Christians, there is something far greater, something far deeper. And this wife of noble character as a reflection uh, of the bride of Christ is uh, a, an exegesis, an explanation of grace at work in our lives. I wonder if this is a glimpse of what we will be like in heaven and what heaven will be like? I think it is. Education, entrepreneurship, imagination, creativity, energy, the retaking of the whole person, love, wisdom, and mercy. So much of what we call beauty today is deceptive and fleeting. And you are asked, and I am asked, to repent from all that is ugly, all that is ugly inside, all the stuff of selfishness, and bitterness, and uh, pride, and ignorance, and all the things that sometimes we enjoy, and we embrace, and we incubate, we foster, and we nourish, and we rub its back and we encourage. And he says, no, God recoils from all of that, recoils from all of the ugliness that might be very important in the society in which we live, but is skin deep. So we recognize that the beauty of the bride is genuine beauty. And genuine beauty should also be something for which we are thankful, and a heart that gives thanks to God and a recognition that He is the author, and He is the giver. And Psalm 106, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever, and all the beauty that comes from Him. And you know, I was reading this week something about, uh, but I have no idea where, and I have no idea what it was, and it's probably just not uh, genuine, but uh, 
there was something I was reading that was saying if you are a thankful person, it is good for you physically and psycho, uh, physiologically and psychologically. Because it makes you humble and it, it makes you recognize your dependence on others and your thankfulness for what you have. And, and that, of course, is we are created to be thankful. We are created to have this healthy perspective to value God, to worship Him, and to glorify Him for all He is and for all His creativity and for all His beauty, and above all, for the beauty of the cross. And so then, as we close, let's be people who live lives of… I hesitate to say spiritual beauty. I just mean beauty. That includes the spiritual and the physical. Uh, It is living that life of beauty. It is what we are called to do, indwell by the spirit of wisdom and beauty, obeying the laws of love, which are love your God and love your neighbor. It's the beauty of holiness. This is not cheap. This is not shallow. This is not uh, soft-soaping the true gospel. This is the gospel that we live this beauty, this beauty that is radically different, that is a life of repentance and faith, that is plugged into God through prayer and through the Word, that sees Him in His living Word and looks beyond the surface. And so in our churches, we are not a people that make judgments on, on the surface and, and judge people's beauty uh, on the surface. That We embrace the beauty of the heart and the graceful life, and we see beyond that, and we live and we look for transformed hearts and embrace the beauty in art and in music and in culture and in everyone's individual gifts and everyone being different. Isn't that good? I want people to be the same. I just want everyone to look like me and be like me because that would make things easier and I would understand life more. No, let's worship and praise and thank God for our diversity and for the variety of our gifts and see the hand of God in them and rejoice in that under Christ. Praise Him for common grace that points. We seek that to point others to the Creator, but more than the Creator, the Redeemer, the Savior, who in the ugliness of Calvary births the most beautiful salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we ask and pray that you would help us to understand your beauty. Forgive us for being so shallow, for being taken up by surface beauty, often the beauty that breaks marriages and breaks relationships and leads to adultery and leads to selfishness and leads to lust and pride and ugliness, a shallow selfishness, a shallow beauty that is self-centered and about receiving rather than giving and is about taking control of rather than giving glory to God. Forgive us for thinking your salvation is plain and ordinary when it is really so multifaceted and deep and beautiful and relevant and meaningful and true. And help us to worship you in the beauty of your holiness and remind ourselves that we often are attracted to the darkness rather than the light, and we reject your beauty because of its great standards and because of its brightness. 
and because of our love of darkness. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for, above all, trying to hide that uh, by an outward sophistication or an outward religiosity to try and cover up and help us to be honest and rejoice in your beauty and rejoice in who you are and what you have done for us and what you will do for us and what the new heavens and the new earth will look like in all its beauty and all its provision. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.